We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Greeny and Tyler Bischoff. So, the Golden Knights take on the Seattle Kraken tonight. They kick off a big run of games here against bad teams that they need to win. Um, let me let me ask you this, because Ryan Wallace was on the show yesterday. 14 games left for the Golden Knights. He said that he thinks they need to win 10 of those games to get into the playoffs. Uh, do you believe they can win? Ten, or he said they need to get 20 points, so you could have some overtime losses in there as well. But do you believe they can essentially win 10 of their last 14 to get into the playoffs? Ooh, let's see. Four, I'm, I'm going through your list here. Um, you got Seattle twice, I Vancouver think I, three I, times, I, Arizona once are your next six. Man, I think it's going to be close. On the back end, they've got teams that they're fighting for, for um, positioning in the Pacific, but also in wild cards. And they're on the road against those teams, a lot of those teams. I think it's going to be close, man. I think 10 might be shooting a little too high. I'd say more eight or nine, especially how they played on the road so far. I don't know if they can go 10 and four. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, they might be able to get, like you say on here, some overtime losses and pick up a point here or there. But I think 10 and four is asking a lot. I'm looking at this schedule. And like I said, they're going to be playing some teams that, especially on the road, that they're fighting to get in against. Your last eight games of the season for the Golden Knights, Calgary, Edmonton, New Jersey, Washington, San Jose, Dallas, Chicago, and St. Louis. Even if they go 6-0 and in these next six, they play Seattle, Vancouver, Arizona. Those are their next six games or against those three teams. Even if they go 6-0, and they still have to find four wins in those last eight games, which means they're going to have to beat somebody along the way that's actually good that's at good. the sport of hockey. So right. even if they if they don't go six and zero in these next six, if they only win five, if they only win four, then all of a sudden you're talking about having to win like five of those last eight, six of those last eight. That's when it becomes really difficult. So I think it's pretty much like it starts tonight in Seattle. They need to win six in a row. Like they they really need to win six in a row, and then they'll have a legitimate shot to go you know four and four in the final eight, and maybe that'll be enough to get him in. Otherwise you're really counting on Edmonton to fall off the face of the earth or Dallas to fall off the face of the earth. And I don't know that either yeah. one's going to collapse enough for the golden Knights to catch them without winning at least, you know, eight, nine, 10 games somewhere in that range. So it's going to be tough. It's still possible. I believe the athletic had them at a 38% chance to make the playoffs right now. So that's still uh, a decent chunk, but definitely a, uh, massive fall from where they were even just a month ago when they were still, I think in the 70% range a month ago, but it's not been I mean, good for them. Da Dallas still has three in hand. Dallas hasn't played yeah. much at all this season. It appears they still, <laughs> they had five in hand or now they still have three in hand. Edmonton has a game in hand uh, and they're three points ahead. So it's like you said, one of them's these teams are going to have to be really, really bad. The Oilers, you know, they play the Kings tonight. Obviously the golden Knights are big Kings fans tonight. But if the Oilers are minus $2, so it seems they're a huge favorite. Yeah, it's going to be – they could play really well, as you said, and still not make it. I mean, yeah, these oh, other teams oh, yeah. are really going to have to be bad. Oh, yeah. They, I mean, they end the season, you know, 9-5 and five or something. You win 9 of your last 14, and you might miss the playoffs, right? Which would be yeah. – if this team wins 9 of 14, that'd be incredible given what we've seen recently. They, they, they still might miss the playoffs. Even I mean, hell, even if they win 10, they might miss the playoffs. So – it's uh, not ideal uh, stretch here, but 
The next six are important. The next six are against bad teams. The next six are against teams that even with the injuries, the Golden Knights can beat and maybe should beat most of the time. So this will be these next six are going to be big for the Golden Knights. Any pretty much any loss here, you start looking and saying, okay, this gets way too difficult for them to end the season here. Um, now, some bigger picture stuff in the NHL because they had uh, some NHL meetings this week. The general managers apparently discussed the future of long-term IR. And basically, we saw Tampa Bay use long-term IR to then be over the cap once they got into the playoffs. The Golden Knights could conceivably do that. Granted, they've got to A, make the playoffs, and B, people have to actually be healthy. But Gary Bettman gave this quote. Nobody in that room, talking of the general managers, nobody in that room believes that it is being abused. I think it's the perception but nobody was sitting around saying, this is a terrible abuse. We have to fix it. That hasn't been the case at all. Do you believe general managers don't think that the LTIR has been abused the last two years? I think they definitely think it's been abused. And I think they want to be in line to be the next to abuse it. <laughs> I mean, you go back to Kucherov and those people, they didn't think that that was, that was being abused in the rule. And now they're, they're, you don't think guys are looking at the golden lights right now? and saying that stuff but here's the thing if they were able to do it they would do it as well yeah i think playoff teams yeah and i think the key here is obviously tampa bay won the stanley cup last year right obviously that was a a team that used the long-term ir to perfection and nikita kucherov was healthy when the playoffs started and it worked out very well for tampa but i think all you have to do to to not be worried about long-term ir abuse is look at the Golden Knights this year. I mean, when the Golden Knights brought Jack Eichel back and put Mark Stone on long-term IR, it was, uh-oh, here comes Tampa Bay 2.0. They're yep. just going to activate Mark yep. Stone in the postseason and be good to go. That's what I was like. It makes sense to me. That's what they should be doing. But this team has been so injured and so beat up that the, the reality is if you're going to try to cheat long-term IR, if you're going to try to hide salary on long-term IR and you're going to try to hide good player salary because normally that's what you're doing here, You've got to be good enough to win without that player. And Tampa Bay last year was good enough to win in the regular season without Nikita Kucherov. The Golden yeah. Knights have had so many injuries. They're not good enough to keep winning despite the long-term IR help. They're not good enough to do it because they're probably going to miss the playoffs at this point. And that's sort of, I think, the that's all you have to look at and be like, okay, abusing long-term IR is really, really hard to do. It is really hard to actually have it work out well like it did for Tampa Bay last season. It wouldn't, listen, if it was an easy thing to abuse, Tampa Bay would not have been the first team to really do it and be successful with it. We would have seen this over and over and over before last year. So I personally don't think it's too big of a deal, and I don't think there's any real need to change it because if you can get into the playoffs with a team that's not healthy, then good, more power to you. Now you can be healthy for the playoffs and win the Stanley Cup. That's great, but you're seeing the Golden Knights are a perfect example of what happens when your team is injured and you can't get in the playoffs because of it. No, but I still think GMs are pissed at what Tampa did. <laughs> I still think they were upset at what Tampa did. And I still think there's a curious eye headed towards the Golden Knights about people like Mark Stone. Now, again, it's a back injury. He might be done for the year. We don't know. He was, uh, he was at practice yesterday with Patch Reddy up in the perch in the, in the room up there watching practice. Um, that doesn't mean anything, but, um, I still think there might be GMs watching watching closely what happens with Mark Stone 
watching what closely happens with the Golden Knights if, if in fact, they get in. I mean, they, they have to get in first before any yeah. of this matters. It, listen, the Golden Knights have had so many injuries. It would be kind of funny if they snuck into the playoffs and then everybody was healthy. Yeah. Like it would, it would be. We kind said that of the funny. other day. Everyone's oh. healthy. We're all good. Mark Stone's back is fine. It would be funny if all of a sudden Robin Leonard goes from getting hurt in practice to oh he's good. Yeah, he's a hundred percent good to go. Max Patch ready hurt in practice. I don't know what you're talking about. He's a hundred percent playoffs here. It would be funny if they went through this entire struggle where we're talking about Jake Lashijan starting for the Golden or in the lineup for the Golden Knights, and then all of a sudden oh yeah they're they're good to go, fully healthy. This seems yeah. great. Uh, they tried to trade Evgeny Dodonov. Nope, he's back, and he's good to go, too. No, it we love Daddy. Fun. Daddy's the best. Uh, one other detail from the uh, GM meetings. Bill Daly, the uh, associate commissioner, he said the NHL is talking about creating a database of no-trade uh, lists. How about that? <laughs> Checking in. Checking in and catching up. So you don't have these things on small pieces of paper in someone's desk. Unreal unreal that they're like oh we screwed up that evgeny to donoff trade because we didn't have every player's no trade list maybe we should create a database to track that unbelievable and you're right it's like it was on a post-it note in somebody in ottawa's desk and they just forgot to give it to the golden knights in the nhl when they traded evgeny to donoff and now the nhl's like like, yeah we should fix that it's like ad's who have the list of coaches in their drawer that whole that whole cliche (laughs) So, which is no trade? Well, hold on. I've got a bunch of lists in here with no trades. Let me see which one's daddy's. <laughs> they have po- They can't read the handwriting on the post-it note. Right. They're like, you know what? I don't yeah. know what that says. That does, doesn't does... look like Anaheim. That looks uh, like Winnipeg. Is that Arizona or Anaheim? Yeah. I can't read it. We <laughs> we fired this guy, and I can't read his handwriting. So we're just going to guess and say it's Arizona. Oh, it was Anaheim. What a problem. So uh, the NHL might actually fix a problem that should have never been a problem in the first place because why would you allow no trade list to just not be held? Like, why? I still can't figure out why the NHL wouldn't have that information. How on earth are you going to run a league and not have the information of who's on each player's no trade list? That is pertinent information. It is unbelievable that the NHL did not have that info, that they just trusted teams to be like, yeah, here's this no trade list he submitted. Like, (laughs) I cannot believe that is actually how they were operating for a long time. Whenever they first did the no trade list, apparently, this is how long they've just been running this way because we can trust our teams to do this and not give us an Evgeny Dodonov I mean, situation. Like, it's like no one had a computer. <laughs> I mean, do, do they have laptops at the NHL level there in New York? It's like, just create a file. We do it every day. Create, Go to documents, create a file, put every team's name in there, and uh, put the tr- no trades down there for the players. And then, again, just hit hit save and then hit save. You know, tr- ca- call, it, call it list. And then you'll know what it is. Call it list. Maybe print it out just in case it gets lost and there's something happens to your laptop and move on. I can't wait for next season to find out, well, we created a database, but we forgot to hit save. So we yes, lost all the information. Hit <laughs> save and name it list. <laughs> oh, man. What a league. Incredible trade deadline. And now, and here's the thing. They might not even fix it yet. It, this is just they talked about it. It might not even go into effect anytime soon or ever at all. They might still come back and say, you know, that's too much work. You guys just keep track of it well, yourselves. How can you be discussing something like this at a GM's meeting and not just everyone go, yeah, that's a good deal? Like, well, how can 
<laughs> would anyone in that room have said, oh, I don't know. I don't know if we want to be right about these things. I mean, it's just so silly to even say, well, they discussed it. Just say, look, this happened. We're going to come up with a database. We're going to hire some kid. He's going to import. You send him all the no trades. He's going to put it in the computer and we're done. Who's got a Who's got a kid that wants to intern with us for a week yeah, so he can create a database exactly. for us? It won't even he take create a, a database for us. <laughs> well, actually, the interesting part is that I think they have to get the approval from the NHLPA too. Well, why wouldn't they want it? The listen, the whole report from Elliot Friedman was like, listen, some players don't want everybody to know what their no trade list is because they don't want the backlash of whatever teams people finding out that Anaheim's on his no trade list. But to me, that's that's irrelevant. Like that's such well, a small can you create, detail. Can you create a database where only the NHL has it? Why, I mean, and, yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah, and league and teams don't have you know access to it until obviously until they make a trade and then they'll find out. Yeah, I I would assume so. I'd assume that'd be possible. But e- but even still, just let everybody know. Who cares? What do you think is going to happen if Gennady Dodonov is going to go to Anaheim and like they're going to boo him because he's on the no trade <laughs> list? Like that'd be that's not going to have it's not going to be some ridiculous thing where uh oh Anaheim really hates if Gennady Dodonov now like fans hate players for things all the time who cares if you're the on coach, your trade list the coach telling players before the game let's take a run at daddy <laughs> he's he, he doesn't want to come here he yeah, doesn't want to does, come here. everyone take a everyone take a run at daddy <laughs> all right coming up next sam and ash join the show did you find her attractive that wasn't my intention sir i didn't ask you what your intentions were i can't answer that i have a girlfriend so that wasn't my intention sir Okay, so you can't you can't answer that because you have a girlfriend. Because that's not what I was looking for. What did you want from her? Just a massage. Was she a massage therapist? Yes, sir. Licensed? I'm not sure, sir. Trained? I'm not sure, sir. Schooled? I'm not sure, sir. Call Sam at Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit their website, samandashlaw.com. Sam and Ash, because you deserve what's right. Joining us now, just Ash today, no Sam? Yeah, it's just me, and I, I appreciate the intro music for me. Who picked that? I have no idea. I'm guessing either Danny or Jared did. One of the two of them oh, is back okay. there in the studio. <laughs> right. we, we can play Wrecking Ball for you every time if you want. I don't know if Absolutely. I like that. <laughs> I don't know. How are Come you guys? On. We're good. We're doing well. Awesome. Uh, we, we have not muted ourselves much this morning at all. Yeah. It's been- oh, that's a sign of success these days? <laughs> yes, low bar, very low bar. Low bar, all right, I like it. Uh, all right, I, I do need to start with Chris Rock and Will Smith here. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay, first, first, like a, a semi-serious like legal question. Would you advise Chris Rock to press charges or would you advise Chris Rock to just be like, yeah, let's just let this one go? You know, based on everything I've seen and the reaction I've read on Twitter, because Twitter is the universe's uh, (laughs) voice, I think Chris Rock's doing exactly what he needs to do and just let this thing die and make it less of an ordeal than it actually was. And so I'm okay with him not pressing charges i'm i'm really think it's the right move in the in the eye of public opinion he's got a tour he needs to focus he wants to focus on his career and and you know pressing charges and moving forward with a criminal case would take his attention away from that so i think he's making the right choice here for himself i don't advise that to everyone but in this instance yes 
So, Ash, would, I was wondering about this. We were wondering as it played out the other night. He would have to press charges. I mean, it, it was seen by billions of people. Um, could there be an investigation without him cooperating? Of course. You know, if he, if Will Smith had punched him, he fell to the ground, he was bleeding, absolutely. I would see LAPD running its own investigation on it. But as they're looking at it, LAPD, based on their, look, they have a district attorney's office that is rejecting filings on actual legitimate crimes. And here, even though this was a legitimate crime, there was no visible injury that I've heard of. And so the LAPD's position is, look, we're aware of it, we've seen it, but we're not going to move forward on any further investigation or filing of a report without the cooperation of Chris Rock. And that's within their prerogative. So like the the whole injury part of that, like that does matter how much Chris Rock got hurt. Like I'm sure it hurt, but like, as far as we know, he didn't like break his jaw. Like there wasn't an actual injury. Like that does matter in terms of how much LAPD would pursue this? Yeah, of course, because you have to also think about how does this play out? LAPD investigates it, files a report, and then they pass it over to the local Los Angeles District Attorney's Office for prosecution, because that's the ultimate goal of it. And if they know, if LAPD knows that they're going to go through the hassle of investigating it, writing the report, doing all the paperwork, and sending it over to the District Attorney's Office, and it gets rejected, and there's a high likelihood of rejection and non-prosecution, LAPD is not going to go through with it. The more, the higher, the greater the injuries, the greater the damage, you know, the higher value of the lost item, whatever the incident is, the more likely LAPD is going to pursue it and forward it to the district attorney because there's a higher likelihood of prosecution. Press box transition. Okay. So <laughs> I love it. There's a lawsuit against a US, an ex-USC fighter that attacked a couple, allegedly, without provocation in a hotel lobby in Las Vegas. Uh, the UFC fighter's 44-year-old Chael Sonnen charged this month with a felony court of battery by strangulation and 10 misdemeanor counts. Apparently, this couple was walking, were walking back to their room at the Four Seasons. They noticed a man who they felt was intoxicated. Uh, he attacked them, and now they are suing. Uh, they brought a lawsuit um, for this. So let's go through this. Chael Sonnen, um, he's found guilty of all of this. How, how how long is he going away for? Like, what, how serious is this when you, un, you, you just attack someone with no provocation and, and cause injury? Yeah, absolutely. So, of course, the facts and circumstances leading up to these charges are critical in determining what the sentence is and how the judge will evaluate where to place him in the range. Because, for instance, okay, here are Kale Sonnen's charges. He has one uh, charge of battery by strangulation in Nevada, where this happened, it is a class C felony and the sentencing guidelines are anywhere between one to five years in prison. And if the judge wants a $10,000 fine, uh, then Kale's also charged with 10 misdemeanor counts of battery, each one of those up to six months in jail and up to a thousand dollar fine. I anticipate Kale Sonnen having all the financial fines thrown at him. It's what's the ultimate jail sentence, if any. And that really gets hung up on the facts and what comes out and what evidence we learn on whether there was provocation or not. And so as it stands now, I could see him serving a, a significant amount of time. So on the ideal of, of uh, you know, provocation here, we've talked to you about different cases and, and people and, you know, 
are you in any immediate threat of physical danger all that i guess like how how much does it matter here like would chael sonnen have to somehow prove that he thought he was being threatened for any of this for him to come out of this looking okay or not getting in trouble yeah i mean the only real defense he has if is if it was self-defense and i haven't heard those allegations by kale or any i think one of his friends spoke on his behalf and came up with some claims that he uh, the couple was talking about Kale's wife. The wife's now claiming she wasn't even there. She was in bed under an ambient-induced coma. So, I, look, I don't know, but even as they're saying, just words do not give you the right to assault someone, as we learned from Will Smith and Chris Rock. So if somebody, in, if like my friend or somebody does something stupid like this, can I just say I was in an ambient-induced coma and I didn't see anything? <laughs> yeah, but problem there's likely surveillance footage so if that wife <laughs> was in fact in that hallway uh, we will find out and then she's lying and so I, I don't ever recommend anyone lie to law enforcement or anyone um, another story and we've asked you about this before when patrons get struck with foul balls at games we've talked about what's on the back of the ticket who's liable who's not but Rachel Balkovec is a Yankees minor league manager and she got hit in the eye with a batted ball at spring training uh, she was working out with the team on Tuesday when she got struck in the face, 34 years old, missed the uh, home opener, um, been with the Yanks for several years, first female minor league manager. So she's a minor league manager, I assume, and she's on the field. She knows she's in the line of fire to get hurt in any situation. If she wanted to, and my guess is she will not because she works for the organization and she knows how baseball works, could she still bring any legal action if she gets injured? Well, you know, that's interesting. I didn't hear how the – how the injury actually occurred. I know it was a baseball to the face, but I don't know, was she on the field? Was she not? Do you guys know those facts? So she was working out with the team when she was struck, so I'm assuming she was on the field. Yeah, so that's kind of what I'd say is if she's on the field and truly in the course and scope of her employment, so working with the team, throwing ground balls, whatever, talking to the players, uh, and she gets hit with a foul ball or an errant hit to the face, that's a workers' compensation claim. There's really no one to sue. If she's, I don't know, walking not on the ball field and someone points at her, tosses a ball and tries to hit her and does, that's not in the course and scope of her employment. And that's not a natural expectation of what's going to happen. So that would be more of a civil lawsuit, a battery and for being hit. So it's just kind of depends on those facts. Uh, Last story, Uh, Jackson Hayes, an NBA player, he is being sued by an ex-girlfriend who is accusing him of domestic abuse and false imprisonment. She says that he cussed her out, hit her with a suitcase, uh, physically prevented her from leaving the room and broke down a bathroom door to get a phone out of her hand. Uh, There was apparently also a second incident, she claims, where he got violent with her again. I'm curious about the false imprisonment part of that. Like, what does it take to prove false imprisonment? Like, what do you have to show to say this person prevented me from leaving the hotel room or wherever you are? Like, how do you prove false imprisonment? You know, it's really tough and sometimes very difficult. And most of these cases often end up in he said, she said discussions and and allegations. And but like if she's look, we take our cell phones anywhere anymore. So if you go into the bathroom to try and get away from someone that's abusing you and you've got your phone on you and you text someone that says, 
uh, hey, you're, you know, say it's you, Tyler, and you text Ed, Ed, oh my gosh, my friend here, Jared, has me locked in the bathroom. Uh, I can't get out and I'm dead serious. He won't let me out. He won't let me out. I've been in here for two hours. Now that text message string will help support you because you were in the moment. You weren't writing that text message for the purpose of any lawsuit. So it's the, the time of it helps. But otherwise, it's he said, she said. So the false imprisonment part. Okay, so it is something hard to read because that's the part that I, like when you read it, it's like, okay, you can say whatever details about it, but it just seems like that's a really hard thing to prove that that person wouldn't let me leave. I, I guess if there's surveillance video of he was blocking the door or throwing her away from yeah. the door, I guess. It just, I don't know, it just seems like you hear false imprisonment uh, quite often. It just, I don't exactly know what it means or, or I guess what it means in the court of law for proving it. Really, it's actually pretty simple. You want to leave a building or anything and you're prevented from doing it, it's false imprisonment. You can't do it. So, Can it be as simple as like uh, verbal threats? Hey, you can't walk out that door or I'll do blank. Like, Would that count as false imprisonment? Yeah, I mean, if you're legitimately and reasonably fearful that if you walk out the door, he's going to shoot you or something, he's holding a gun, yeah, that's false imprisonment. Okay. Well, it's salmonashlaw.com, 702-820-1234. Ash, we appreciate it today. This was heavy today, guys. It was. Oh, it was. Gosh. We're going we're gonna to have to go back to just Will Smith and Chris Rock from now on. That's, That's what be. I was hoping for. <laughs> Thanks, right, Ash. Guys. We appreciate oh, it. Oh, hey, if I have two seconds, we yeah, are yeah. doing a, yeah, we've got, we're doing a Henderson Silver Knights Dollar Loan Center giveaway for tickets on the ice this Saturday. Go to our Instagram and Twitter at Sam and Ash Law. So that's one thing. I think it's going to be a fun event. Yes, you said tickets uh, front row? Front row on the ice. Look at you. All right. So, yeah, SamandAshLaw.com. Find them on Twitter and Instagram, and you guys can win some uh, really good seats to a Henderson Silver Knights game at their new arena. We appreciate it, Ash. Thank you. Uh, all right. Thanks, guys. So there's Sam and Ash at SamandAshLaw.com. 702-820-1234. Uh, according to a text message, Ed lost his earbuds. So we're going to go to break, and hopefully Ed can hear us when we get back. Bischoff's Briefs. I never realized baseball had so much butt touching. Bischoff's Briefs. That's how they communicate. Bischoff's Briefs. It's like Braille, but with butts. Bischoff's Briefs. Read my butt! All right, before we actually get into Bischoff's briefs today, um, we might lose Ed at some point because what, a good chance. what exactly is happening here? So I'm on my earbuds, uh, and I've been on my earbuds, obviously, for how long the show's been on. But when they go out, the, the, the speaker on the laptop goes out. So you heard me when I tried to reconnect. You heard how bad that was, right? Yeah. So that's what it's going to be unless I... Unless the earbuds are charged, <laughs> so it, I might be ending the show on the on, on the hotline three six four eleven hundred. Call ESPN. <laughs> well, don't don't call now because Ed might have to use no. that. So don't call now. Well, yeah, don't call now. Please don't call now. I might have to use that line. Ah, okay, so we might lose Ed because his earbuds might die in the middle of a good chance the show, uh, which would be kind of funny if that happened. So. Yes. Uh, We'll see if we can finish out the show. We don't have much left. Can they, can they hold on exactly. for just a little longer? Just a little longer. And the show uh, we're going to see. Will be over. All right. So Bischoff's briefs today. We are taking a look at the NFL draft and where the most value is. Pro Football Focus had a good story, kind of a study on 
finding or optimizing value in the first round. And they did this a couple of different ways, one of which was sort of a position analysis uh, because when we look and we talk about first rounds and rookie pay scale and all that, because rookies get paid so low compared to veterans signing, you know, their second and third contracts, some positions are going to carry a lot more value simply based on how much those positions get paid on their second contracts. Everybody obviously knows quarterback, right? You don't need any sort of study to tell you quarterback's the most valuable position for a football team. And that's the most valuable position to be drafting in the NFL. It's why in all seriousness, you can somewhat defend the Packers drafting Jordan Love, because if you think you need a quarterback, if you think you're anywhere close to needing a quarterback, you should be using your first round picks on a quarterback. Obviously that blew up in their faces, did not work out very well. Aaron Rodgers has been awesome since then, but it was a quarterback and I'm fine if a team screws up by drafting too many quarterbacks as opposed to pretty much any other position. Using this pro football focus story, quarterbacks, number one, there's a second tier of positions that you should pay attention to in the first round the most. That is wide receiver, defensive end or edge rusher if it's a 3-4 like the Raiders are going to play, and offensive tackle. Those are the other three positions that sort of simply based on uh, top-end salaries of the position that you should focus on in the first round because you can get a lot of value. If you get a defensive end on his rookie contract, like say Max Crosby, who plays at a high level, that gives you a ton of value because in reality, that guy's going to be worth 20 plus million once he signs a second contract. Defensive tackle comes in as the fifth best position to get value from. Uh, it's not quite as valuable as wide receiver or defensive end or tackle, but there is still some value because of you know guys like Aaron Donald exist. And if you land somebody close to that, you're going to get them good production for really cheap. And then there's the less valuable positions, cornerback, safety, linebacker, offensive guard. Those positions do not carry anywhere near the same value as the rest of the uh, top tier positions in the league. And then there's the bottom three. And these are the three positions you should pretty much never draft. Tight end, center, and running back. I should say draft in the first round. Those are the three spots that carry the least amount of value simply because those positions don't actually pay guys a whole lot of money. Yes, there are some high-paid tight ends. Yes, there are some high-paid running backs. But ultimately, most of them aren't making too much money. So a lot of that's simply based off position pay, right? If you draft, like, for example, you draft a tight end in the first round and the guy's the seventh best tight end in football. That's a good tight end, right? You want that guy on your team. The problem is, is that you could sign a guy who's the eighth best tight end in football and it's not going to cost you a lot because tight ends aren't ex expensive. Whereas if you get a wide receiver, if you draft a wide receiver in the first round and that guy's awesome, he's costing you $6 million and he's a great wide receiver. Whereas if you went and signed one like Devontae Adams, he's going to cost you 25, maybe $30 million in the future at wide receiver. So wide receiver has more value in round one. So the basics here, if you're drafting in round one, you should be taking quarterback, wide receiver, defensive end, or offensive tackle, maybe a defensive tackle, and then preferably not corner, safety, linebacker, guard, but you might need to given team needs or available players, and you should not go after tight ends, centers, or running backs. But here's what was more interesting about Pro Football Focus's study here, because they looked more into also where in the first round guys are getting drafted and what picks carry the most value, and it's not linear. Uh, the most valuable picks in the first round are the first two picks, which you would expect. 
But then there's a big drop-off. The the third most valuable pick in the first round is pick number eight. Three through seven are less valuable than pick number eight. And the logic behind this is that because quarterbacks provide the most value as first-round picks, quarterbacks don't usually go between three and seven, right? Sometimes they do. Sometimes there's big quarterback classes or good quarterback classes. But quarterbacks usually go first and second. And then three to seven, it's sort of the best players that aren't quarterbacks. And the logic here is that there's actually not a big difference between the guy you draft fifth and the guy you draft 15th. Right. If you take a cornerback at five and a cornerback at 15, those guys are going to provide the same value most years. So drafting three through seven isn't as big of a benefit as you would think it is because you're not drafting a quarterback and you're still getting the same level of player as the team's drafting 15, 16, whatever that ends up being. So if you're drafting in the first round, the Raiders don't have to worry about this year, but if you're drafting, right, if you've got a top two pick, you should be taking a quarterback. Obviously, there's going to be some scenarios where like Jacksonville this year has Trevor Lawrence. They're not going to take a quarterback. So there's going to be some scenarios there. But quarterback is what you should be trying to do if you have a top two pick. If you don't have a top two pick, you should almost always be trying to trade down because you're most of the time going to get the same value of player at the 15, at the 18 pick, as you will at the three, the seven, the eight, something like that. And if you trade down, you add more assets and you get the same level of player in the first round. That's sort of over the history of time in the NFL draft where the value shakes out. So picking three to seven, not actually a good place to be in the NFL draft. Picking in the teens, a little bit more valuable than we thought because you're going to get better, the same type of player without having to spend as much money when you pay that guy out eventually. So the lesson in all of this is don't take Kyle Pitts number four overall. I think Kyle Pitts is one you can point to as an exception and say that guy's really good. And so there is going to be some value because he projects to get the Travis Kelsey type of contract. So Kyle Pitts is maybe an exception to the rule, but you can also point to the Atlanta Falcons and say, okay, you've got a great tight end. Good for you. You're going to finish last in the division, right? Like the tight end position is not going to be valuable enough that, the Falcons are any good because of it. They could have, Kyle Pitts could be the best tight end in football for the next four years, and it won't matter. The Falcons aren't going to win. Whereas if they had drafted an awesome quarterback and that guy was the you know best quarterback for four years, the Falcons are in the playoffs. So right. if if you have a good roster pretty much everywhere else, you can justify taking somebody you think is going to be a freak like Kyle Pitts, but the Falcons aren't in that position. So they need a lot more than just Kyle Pitts. But yes, that is sort of the idea there is you don't want to be stuck taking Kyle Pitts. The other problem here is other teams can be wise to this and you can be like, okay, well, I want to take a quarterback or an edge rusher and I'm picking 13. Oh, the first 12 picks were all quarterbacks and edge rushers right, and there's right. nobody left that's any good. And then you're, you have to take a position that has less value, whatever. So it, it you're playing a game with other players that they might have the same information and might act on it as well, which matters. All right. We're going to take a break. But before we do that, we've got tickets to go see Megadeth. They're coming to Las Vegas in April, and we've got a pair of tickets for you right now. 702-364-1100 is the phone number if you want to go see Megadeth. 702-364-1100. We will take caller number five at 702-364-1100. Bruce, I hear that now you guys are actually the 11th seed, <clears throat> so you're out of the playing game. What changes going forward? Nothing, man. Nothing. 
Then why is that? Because it doesn't. What does it change? We still got games to play. Other teams still got games to play. We still got to play teams that's above us in the play-in. Don't really change much. Thank you, Russ. What do you think should change? Winning. Okay, that's obvious. What do you think should change? Winning. Winning games, playing hard. Mm -hmm. Ask, if you ask a question, I gave you an answer. That's fine. You got to answer the winning? Aye. You have to answer the winning? I'm not out Maybe I think I'm. You give me the answer, but you think you <laughs> Exactly. So, well, I don't have to answer. You know, I, exactly. If so you don't have it, you out there, I so can't you have it either. Me, you ask me to have an answer, you don't have it either. Well, either. but I don't play, Russell. If you, I want to get the information from you so that I can I'm give it to one you person, Jim. Right. It's a team game. Right. So I don't, I don't have an answer. Okay. You know, I may have it. I but, don't have it. So good. But I'm asking the pros who know the game, play the game, yeah, yeah. what you guys, what you think you can do to make it. Your point, yeah. their point, everybody's point. Sure. That's what I'm asking. No, I really, man. Okay. I respect that. Okay. You got that? Y'all got that? No. Y'all got it? No, we can. We can. We can. We can. It's good. We can. Y'all got that? All right, cool. Y'all got it. Make sure I record that. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. So that was Russell Westbrook arguing with a reporter over who had the answer to why the Lakers suck. And unsurprisingly, neither one had the answer because the answer is probably Russell Westbrook. Um, but some other issues, I guess, there too. If it was just Russell Westbrook, they'd probably be fine. Um, Ed, I need to read a tweet for you, though. Uh, this is from Las Vegas locally, so take that okay. for what it's worth. Uh, okay. Res Resorts World is also planning to build a basketball arena on the Strip <laughs> in hopes of attracting an NBA team to oh. Las Vegas. <laughs> don't you want? Don't you want all these people to build their arenas and the NBA say, "Ah, we don't think so. We're going to go to Kansas City. We're going to have. Or we're going back to. We're going back to Seattle." We're going to have four arenas for an NBA team and uh, no NBA team. So, okay, we have T-Mobile arenas already built, already constructed. There's one. Apparently, Resorts World wants to build an arena to attract an NBA team. We have Jackie Robinson building his all-net arena or maybe well, building his all-net arena. And now we have um, Tim Lewecki and Oakview Group coming in saying that they're going to build a 20,000-seat arena. That is four arenas that hope to have an nba team in it and we don't have an nba team in las vegas <laughs> <laughs> how are there so many people that are just like yeah we're gonna build an arena get in it like and that's the other part the way this is phrased is in hopes of attracting an nba team to las vegas which is similar to the tim lewecki story this morning where tim lewecki says yeah we're building this we don't have any sort of promise from the NBA that they're going to put a team here. We're just going to build it anyways. Like, is it that backwards? Shouldn't these people be like, yes, we're getting an NBA team. Now I'll build you the arena, not the yes. other way around. Yes, exactly. Tyler, is this how we wind up with every conference tournament in basketball, literally in Las Vegas? We're going to see we the Patriots. We <laughs> can do that already. We don't, I, I think we could host every, we could host every conference's basketball tournament here. We could do that already. We don't need more. We have T-Mobile, we have Thomas and Mac, we have MGM Grand Garden Arena, we have the Michelob Ultra Arena. Like we that that's good and then listen, 
like the colonial plays in high school gyms anyway. Just send them to Bishop Gorman. We could host them all ALCC. right now. Yeah, you keep we don't, forgetting yeah. about Dollar Loan Center. Dollar yeah. Loan, yeah. Put a basketball court out at the Las Vegas ballpark in Summerlin. Like, <laughs> we, we could host them all right now. We don't need more arenas to host college basketball, let alone we don't need four for NBA team. This is great. This, this is phenomenal. I hope they all get built. I, I, hope I hope they all get built and the NBA never comes. And well, it's I, like, what are we going to do with all these arenas? I do hope we get an NBA team, but I hope <laughs> they all get built. And maybe the NBA team has to play 10 games at each arena. They've got four oh, different home, home venues that they have to play at every year. It's just like, and I also love this. Did somebody at Resorts World, were they like, wait a minute. Somebody else is building a basketball? Well, hell, we're building one too. Get that out there. Tell somebody that that we're building a basketball arena because we're we're getting. What do you think, poor Jackie team. Robinson's doing? Oh, he's gonna What's beat them all. What's poor Jackie doing? He's gonna beat them all, Ed. He's gonna finally get this broken ground broken for the third time. He's gonna get his arena up, and he's gonna get the NBA team. He's the underdog. He's like the Raiders of this race, isn't he? You got the worst yeah. odds of anybody. Yeah. Who's the Chiefs? Todd Lewicki? Is that the guy? All right. <laughs> Todd Lewicki might be the Bills. Yeah, give us the NBA already.